Man, how many of you guys enjoy worship? Yeah? You know, yesterday on my way home, every now and then, the attack of the enemy is very obvious, right? And on my way home yesterday from, from work, all of a sudden I felt this, like, deep insecurity set, like, push in on me, which is, like, for me personally, it's kind of weird. I, not to say I don't struggle, but it's typically not something that happens. And so I, I started going through this, and I, and I, I was like, okay, I'm going to speak to myself, I'm going to pray, I'm going to ask. I'm going to remind myself of who I am, who I'm founded in. And then I felt the Lord say to me, stop and declare who I am for a minute. And so I turned on, I actually played these songs that we went through this morning, except for one, but declaring who the Lord is, is an important aspect of our thriving. Because who the Lord is, is directly connected to who you are because he's our creator. There's a connection there, one that I'm not going to go into this morning because I didn't prepare for it to speak on this. But in the awkwardness of, you know, I, I, I enjoy worshiping alone, and one of the reasons I enjoy worshiping alone is because I just sing, and I'm not a, an amazing singer by uh, any stretch. But I, then, I, then the Lord said, shout just as loud as you could. Even though I was all alone, I started taking the long way home. It was awkward. It was just weird. And the Lord said, see, even there, even, even I've taken away all of your excuses, and there's still a barrier there for you to worship me that the enemy has put there. And so I just forced myself to shout, and then it was as if something just snapped, something broke. And then I just, I just sang and cried out to the Lord. There's something about that, just crying out to the Lord. And this, a physical shout, I believe you could worship in your spirit. I believe you could worship without physically saying or, or doing anything. But I think there are these moments where the Lord just shout, just shout and declare who I am. Praise me. Remove all of your barriers that have been, been put up. That's why I like to play loud. That's why I like music loud, so that I can shout with no hesitation. So take that for what it's worth. I don't know who it's speaking to this morning. It spoke to me. Yesterday. Yes. What's that? Answered prayer. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. We need it. We need it. We need people fighting alongside of us. So, yeah, last, that last song, Waymaker, this is who you are. This is who you are. Just shouting that and declaring that. There's something to it. Let's get to the word this morning. We're going to go to Ephesians 4. 11 through 16. This is going to wrap up what I started months ago, this talk on what it is to be fully mature in the Lord. So let's get at it. So Paul is saying this to the Ephesians. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work. We have a pastor, his name's Eric. His responsibility is to make sure that we are equipped to do the work. And build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of 
God's Son, that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard that is, uh, standard of Christ. So Jesus is the standard to which we measure ourselves against. And God is saying, I, I am going to make you full and complete in this. I am moving you, and I'm not going to stop until you are this image of Christ. I'm not going to stop. So I, I am not going to leave you empty. I'm not going to leave you wanting. This is going to continue until this happens. And then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every, man, in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly, as each part does its own special work. Who's a part of the church? Han, you're a part of the church. You have your own special work. It helps the other parts grow. Not only is, is do you have a work, but your work actually influences the rest of the church in some way. It helps the rest grow. So that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. We're going to reference back to this, but this is going to be our passage. Understand this, God is at work, right? We just declared that in song. God is at work. And his works cannot be stopped. They cannot be thwarted. Even though our plans can be, right? Our wants and desires, our will can be. I think many, there, there are many in the nation today that are disappointed. Our wants and desires were thwarted in some way. But God's work cannot stop. It will not stop. Nothing can get in the way of it stopping. He is at work both on a grand cosmic scale and in your life. God is at work. And God's work continues and will be accomplished. It will be accomplished. When I uh, build anything or do some sort of project, typically it begins with a strategy in my head how I'm going to accomplish it. Sometimes I write it down on paper, or other times I... I uh, you know, it's just all in, in my mind. And when I'm in the midst of a project, every now and then someone comes along, looks at it. What's, what's the plan here? Do you have one? Or are you just kind of throwing this thing together? God has a plan, right? Now, I, I wouldn't hold it against you if you questioned my plan. Because even I change my plans all the time. Because I'm really like, why did I do that? That was dumb. Why, this, why, why did I think this would work at all? But God has a plan. God has a strategy. And his will will be accomplished on this earth. But we as his church, as the body, are a part of his plan. You play a role in his plan. History and scripture show us that God's way of doing Things involves his people. He continually, throughout history and scripture, partners with his people. From Adam to Noah to Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, and on and on and on. All of the judges, where you get all the cool stories of how he used them. On and on and on. God partners with his people to do his work. He says, I am going to do a work here 
let me find a, let me find a people to partner with this work. Because he's going to work through his people. Time and time the Lord says, I want to do a work on this earth. I'm going to use my people. And to the Lord, today the Lord is saying, through you I will accomplish my will. Through my church I will see my plans and purposes fulfilled. Through you. And I'm not saying in a generic sense, through us. I'm, I'm saying in a very direct sense. I'm saying through Carson. Through Hunter. Right? Then put your name here. I am, am, am being used for the forwarding of God's kingdom. God's saying, I will use my church to redeem this world. To bring hope and love, to save the lost, to turn death to light and uh, death to life and darkness to light. I will accomplish my will on this earth. It is God's will and desire and current work to share His mercy, love, and grace with this world. Do you guys see any chaos lately? Do you guys see any troubling things in this world? God's will is to pour out His grace and mercy and love on this world. And he's using you to do it. Hmm. Of course, I can't talk about this without talking about the story of Jonah. We know Jonah, you know, big fish and everything, thrown overboard. The story of Jonah is a story of God's desire to pour out his mercy and grace on a people. And he uses his people to do it. He says, I want to pour out my mercy and grace onto this city, onto this people who are in full rebellion against me, who don't even know what way is up and down, what's righteous and good and, and bad. They just mix all the two, and they're so lost. And I want to save them. I want to have mercy on them. I want to bring a correctness to this. And he says, so I'm going to go find a, a people, and I'm going to use this person in this city. And so look around at our chaos. God's looking at the chaos, but he's also looking for a people. He's looking for his church to say, I'm going to go, okay, I see the chaos. I know you see it too. Guess what? You're going into it. Oftentimes, like Jonah, we're a little reluctant. Like, I don't know about this. Do they even deserve this? God's like, no, my desire is to pour out mercy and love on these people, and I'm going to use you to do it. I'm probably going to use you to, to help those that actually bother you the most. Jonah was so put off by the people of Nineveh. Nope, you're going right in there. Which it wasn't an uncommon thing for Jonah's people to be that. God sees Nineveh in rebellion without hope, but he also sees a people whose lives are in di direct opposition to his righteousness. But God sees a city full of people that he is in pursuit of that he is desiring to pour out his mercy and, mercy and love on. Yeah, I see all sorts of chaos around. I see things I don't like. But every time I look, look at another man or woman, I'm looking at someone that God is in pursuit of, that God is chasing down. Then he says, hey, you see that person that you're like kind of put off by? Yeah, now, it's, now I'm going to use you, and we're going to go chase them down together. Let's go do it. Let's go do it. He calls up Jonah as the one he will use to accomplish this will. And just like Jonah, 
uh, God used Jonah to pursue these people. God is going to use us to pursue people lost in darkness. The point is this. God is at work, and through his body, love, mercy will be poured out onto this earth. Through his body, the good news will be heard. Through his body, the name of Jesus will be known. And light will cast out darkness, and darkness will not overcome it. God has a plan, and you're it. God has a strategy, and you're it. When we look at the world, we see darkness. We should say, the church was made for such a time as this. I was made for such a time as this. If you haven't read the story of Esther, go read it. I was made for such a time as this. Part of the mature believer is to be actively engaged in the work of God to see souls saved. His mercy and love poured out. His light and life shone into darkness. Being salt and light, agents of healing, provision, and revealers of truth. This is you. This is us. This is us. Seems a little daunting, right? Seems like there should be a better plan than Stephen Hay, right? At least that's the way I'm thinking of it. There's, there, should there be a better plan than this? Let's get into this a little bit. You are light. God's plan for dealing with darkness is light. Matthew 5.14 says this, You are the light of the world. A city on a hilltop cannot be hidden. In John 1.5, I'm using these kind of in conjunction, light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot, can never extinguish it. Of course, we know Jesus is the light. So God says, he, he sends light into the world in the form of Jesus into darkness, and it can't overcome it. This is the message that we just celebrated during Christmas, right? Light come to the dark world. God sends a rescuer, a light for all men. Then through Jesus, we join him and are also made into light through Jesus and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You are light. You are light. Now, as a follower of Jesus, I have been made into light and can walk into darkness and extinguish it through his power. That's what light, light is for, right? Light is to extinguish the darkness. That's the only reason we have light. That's why we actually only position light where there is darkness, because we want to get rid of it. This is the problem. We often, as light, forget or neglect our responsibility and role as light. We often, as light, either forget or neglect our responsibility as light. A bold light cannot be hidden, right? We read that in Matthew. A bold light cannot be hidden. But we can choose to conceal it. Jesus talks about after that, he talks about, you don't take a light and you put, it, put a basket over it, right? You put it up on a lampstand so it can illuminate the whole room. But the way that we conceal our light is not par- by not participating in the work we are designed for. You are designed for a specific work and to participate in that work. You are made to battle against darkness because there are people wandering in darkness, stumbling in darkness, lost and without hope. And as light, we are made to walk into darkness and lead those lost in darkness to safety. 
you being light tells you something about your relationship with darkness, right? We want to fix all the lighting in this room. We see it as too dim in here. We want to extinguish more darkness, right? You are light. You are designed to extinguish the darkness, to go into it where darkness exists and extinguish it. That is you. God has a strategy, a plan for dealing with the present darkness, and we are it, his church, his body. We need to understand this. There is a responsibility on our shoulders to be light and to play our part, right? This word, you are, these words, you are light, kind of take it, translate it in your mind as a, a title or, identif- or an, an identifying marker because a title kind of defines your responsibilities, right? It's not like Jesus is saying, oh, you're, you're good at this, so why don't you go over there and do that? And you're not good at this, so you don't do that. Say, no, no, no. You are all light, all of us. And so we are all designed for this. He's saying, you light, you are light, so you have a responsibility to fulfill. Let me put it this way. One of the titles in my life is dad, right? One of the titles in my life is dad. And you guys know I have that title because you'll see me tend to that responsibility. When kids start crying, when all the kids are in here and they start crying, you'll see all the parents in the room kind of, even though they're paying attention to the, they're trying to see if it's their kid. If it's their responsibility to run over there and take care of whatever's going on. Oh, not my kid? Okay, fine, whatever. Oh, my kid, I gotta go. So this, this light, it's a title on us. It's an identifying marker of what your responsibility is. As, as siblings, as kids, me and my siblings, Deborah and Brittany, of course, we had chores to do. And my mom walked in and said, the bathroom isn't clean. The first thing that would come out of my mouth is, it wasn't my responsibility, it was one of theirs. Right? I wanted, I wanted to communicate, it wasn't my responsibility, I wasn't supposed to be the one doing it, they were supposed to be doing it. I wanted to make sure that responsibility was on the correct shoulders. Of course, it usually resulted in me having to do it anyways because I was trying to pitch responsibility onto somebody else. I was trying to dodge it. As God's children of light, we play the same game, assuming it's someone else's responsibility and not mine. You are light. means you have a responsibility. Hmm. In reality, if there is darkness that is in your circle, meaning your realm of life, if you come across darkness, it's your responsibility to see to that light enters that darkness, right? It's your responsibility to to see to it that God's love and mercy is exposed in that darkness and poured out in that darkness. In youth group, we've been doing this thing where we ask, uh, we've been kind of circling up in the middle here and we do prayer at the end. We ask for any prayer requests. In the first couple weeks, what would often happen is a student would say, could you pray for my friend? And my response typically was, I don't mind praying for your friend, but it's actually your responsibility to pray for your friend. I don't know your friend. This is your friend in your circle. There is darkness that exists in your circle, the people that you are interacting with. It is your responsibility. So we've been teaching our students this, you know, as, as best we can. 
I have a responsibility as light to those in darkness. This is why playing your part as a member of Christ's body as light is a maturity issue. It's a maturity issue. It's all about your personal responsibility as light in a dark world. Because that's where we exist, right? If we existed at this moment in the kingdom of heaven, it might be a different story where darkness doesn't exist. But at this moment, we exist in a dark world where there are people at this moment, people that you know that are stumbling around lost in darkness, and you have a responsibility to those people. God has a plan and a strategy for them. He is in pursuit of them, but it's through you, through his church, to be light. Yes. No, Jonah was very reluctant. Jonah actually looks like a lot of us. Jonah, Jonah did not like this idea of, res- of responsibility. First, he tried to dodge it. And then, he's like, ah, well, throw me overboard because there's a big old storm and I know it's me. Throw me overboard. Swallowed up by a fish. Has like a little repentance moment in there. A big one. Upchucked. Walks into the storm. <laughs> Sorry. Walks, walks into the city, declares the word that the Lord had told him to, to repent, and then he goes and he sits. And he waits for the city to be destroyed. Yeah. So Jonah goes up and he sits on this, on this hill and he starts complaining about the sun and then the Lord grows up a tree for him. And then it, it withers away, gets it by worms, and he's all mad at this. Oh my gosh, my tree. And he says, well, you didn't do any work for the tree. I, I put the, uh, the tree there. And how dare you grumble at this city? Because I am the, I am the one that, that has come here to save them. There are 120,000 souls in this city. Shouldn't I, have, shouldn't I, God, be concerned about them? And all you can think about is this dumb little tree that I'm the one who put there in the first place to bless you. Oftentimes we can't get beyond our own needs and wants to, uh, to see the purposes and plans of the Lord. And we're going to get to that, because I think that sometimes our own desires cloud, cloud our understanding of what God's strategy is. Because we go, oh my gosh, is there even a plan? What are you even up to? What's this world coming to? God's like, well, if you could, if you could stop focusing on yourself for a minute, you'd understand that I am actually in pursuit of these people, and I do have a plan. Yeah, Jonah was super reluctant. And because of that, he wasn't celebrating in the city with the rest of the people. It doesn't tell us that he, gets, he goes and enjoys the, the mercy of the Lord poured out on the city. Instead, he's off grumbling and complaining. Yeah. I mean, one of the best parts of being light is when truth is revealed in someone's life and the Lord just gets them, right? The Lord goes and does his work and you get to be with them and celebrate in that moment. My response to darkness shouldn't be anything less than shining bright as light. When believers with a, live with a lack of responsibility, when the believers live with a lack of personal responsibility, light doesn't shine. Because we neglect, we neglect or forget our responsibility as light to this dark world. So let's talk about these three, three characteristics of light. I'm going to go through these pretty fast. 
three characteristics of being light. These are kind of your application points. We all get the point, right? I have a responsibility on my shoulders. What's that actually look like now? Light chases down darkness. Light chases down darkness. Luke 10. One expert in the religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus uh, replied, what does the law of Moses says? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God and all, with all your heart, soul, and your strength and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. So he understood these things. And Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, this is, this is good. The man then asked, who is my neighbor? And we know the story. He then shares the parable of the Good Samaritan. Good Samaritan is beaten and robbed, thrown on for dead on the side of the street. Two people pass him. One, one person, a, Samar- a Samaritan, comes up to this Jewish man, and there's, you know, meaning in that, but comes up to this Jewish man and then meets his needs. He meets his needs. In the same way, when we encounter darkness, we are to be light and extinguish it, showing love to its fullest extent. It's like we, we're walking around as light, and we see darkness, and we are then in pursuit of it. In pursuit to do everything we can to be light. To expose them to the love, mercy, and grace of God. And it says that a good Samaritan takes them to the nearest end, pays for everything he needs to get better, and then tells the innkeeper, hey, If the bill goes higher than this, I'm going to be back and I'll pay for it. Just make sure that these needs are met to the fullest. Because light chases down darkness. God God sees a dark world and sent his son. God sees a, a, a dark world and sends his light through his people into the world. God sees darkness in the lives of your friends in the lives of your family members, of those you care about, and he's sending you there to extinguish it. I think oftentimes we skim over this second great commandment where it says love your neighbor. In my mind, at least, I translate that quickly into be kind and generous and everything to everybody, right? Just kind. But I know in my own heart that I actually want more than kind gestures, I want to be treated more than just general respect and the door held open for me and people treating me nicely. And how do I know this? Because one day, I knelt before the Lord and asked Him for it. I said, I want unconditional love. I said, I want unstoppable, limitless forgiveness. I said, I want it all. And He gave me it all. Isn't this true for you? And so when he says, love your neighbor as yourself, man, he's not saying, hey, treat everyone with this general kindness. He's saying, treat everyone as you came and expected me to treat you. This unending mercy and love and grace poured out onto my life. That's why he tells the story of the, of the uh, Good Samaritan. He did everything in his power. I'm going to make sure. I'm going to make sure that this guy is treated with everything I have. I want to love this man as my neighbor. Jesus sets the example of what it is to love your neighbor in that he initiates love and chases down darkness. He comes, he sees the darkness, he initiates it all. Before I knew him, he knew me. 
and it was in pursuit of me. Before I understood the darkness in which I was wandering around in, he understood my situation and was in pursuit of me. Light chases down darkness. Light loves their neighbor to the fullest extent. We don't get to sit back and watch the, the world roll on as it, on its destructive course and say, well, that kind of sucks, but I get to go to heaven one day. So, you know, I'm, I'm just an observer. No, we're a part of it. We don't just get to sit back and say, well, I'll love those who ask. Yeah, if someone comes and asks me, sure. I'm a nice guy. No, God's saying, no, you chase down darkness. We must move toward the darkness, toward those standing against you even, toward those who wish to silence you, toward those drenched in darkness and meet them with the love of God just in the same way God moved toward us. To love others without tiring, to initiate the pursuit of those in darkness, and to be active salt and light in their lives. Right? This is us. This is our our responsibility. This is on our shoulders. This cannot happen, though, through self-seeking pleasure, but only through self-sacrificing service. Do I need to say it again? It can't happen through self-seeking pleasure, but can only happen through self-sacrificing service. And if we're having an issue here, and there's a good chance that what we're really struggling with is putting our own selfish desires to the side for the sake of others. This is what Jonah struggled with, putting his own selfish desires, his own wants and thoughts toward the city of Nineveh for the sake of others. This is why the first and, and greatest commandment to love the Lord your God is necessary Because we have to be in tune with the love of God and his understanding of things, his way of doing things and thinking about things in order to accomplish that next next step, love your neighbor. We must be a people who love God with everything in us so that we can love others in the same manner God does. There's one point that I want to make here. I'm going to kind of skim through some stuff, but... I think if we're honest with ourselves, this is, this is probably the part that we struggle with the most, is kind of balancing our self-seeking pleasure compared to self-serving sacrifice. I understand something, though, that what I'm asking is that the Lord convict us of this. But if you are feeling in any way a shame, then that is not correct and not of the Lord. Let me just define the two real quick. Because we pray for conviction, we don't, we don't pray for shame. Shame says, look at you in the mud you doing that wrong thing, and says, look at you in the mud, that's where you belong, that's all you're good for, it pushes you down. Conviction, on the other hand, is, comes by the Holy Spirit, and he says, look at you in the mud, this isn't where you belong, and pulls you up to the place of where you belong. It says, now, now respond to this correctly, and through my power, my forgiveness, I'm gonna, now I'm pulling you up. So conviction brings life, and shame brings death. Amen? Yeah. Next point. So, light chases down darkness. Point two, light relies on God's power. There isn't anything in yourself, in your your flesh, that can fight darkness apart from the Holy Spirit. 
Philippians 2.13, For God is working in you, giving you the desire, the power to do what pleases him. This is why I think, I think man, isn't there, isn't there a better plan than Stephen? Isn't there a better plan than us? But he's like, no, no, no. You're a part of the plan. It is my Holy Spirit in you, though, that is at work. Nothing in your own flesh can accomplish anything near this good work that I'm doing. It is God's Holy Spirit working in you to accomplish His will. It's through God that we are, we are made and operate as light. This should be encouragement, being that the dark, darkness to me looks daunting, but to God it's just child's play. Just like, yeah, I got this. I know how this works. Because we know in John 1, 5, light, light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never, over, can never overcome it. Now, I know none of you guys do this. We don't walk into a room flip a switch for the lights to come on and then wait for the struggle session between light and darkness to unfold to see which is going to win, right? That doesn't happen. I just flip the switch and walk straight in, just knowing the light's going to do its job, being that it's connected to the proper power source, of course. I know and trust the results will be always light as the victor, so I'm confident and I would bet all I have that if tomorrow, if that light switch is hooked up to power and I come and flip it in, flip it on, it's going to turn on and all the darkness is going to be extinguished, right? And it gets really dark in here, like really dark. Like, look around. When that door's shut, there's like one tiny window back there. There's nothing. As light, we can operate boldly, knowing that darkness doesn't stand a chance. This means I can speak truth and love and give freely, knowing that darkness has no power over light. We can be incredibly generous, knowing that God is at work, and that his work through that generosity isn't going to fall flat. It's doing something, right? I can go up to someone and love them, knowing that they're touched by the love of God. It's at work doing something. Somebody say, well, how come when I, whenever I interact with, with someone, they just don't come running to Jesus? Which is a real thing, right? We've interacted with you, and you guys longer than I, but you guys have known people that you've been light in their lives consistently for years and years and years. And still, it kind of looks like, oh, well, I'm not sure what's going on there. They're not here today. They haven't, really, they haven't made a commitment to the Lord. What's going on? There is a reality that God is at work in them, but also that it's a personal decision to each person individual decision they have to make so what do i do with those that want to remain in darkness or don't realize they're in darkness or ignorant to it and they just want to stay there i continue to be light in their life because i still have a responsibility to them for years for as long as i'm alive and they're alive i have a responsibility to them i have a responsibility to darkness to be light to share the love of christ to give freely, to live boldly the gospel and the good news of Jesus. Last point. Being light is to obey Jesus' command in the Great Commission. Being light is to obey the command in the Great Commission. Let's refresh that. Matthew 28, 18-20. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commandments I have given you. And, and be sure of this, 
I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So as light, you are a disciple maker, an ambassador of Jesus in your daily going-ons. In fact, I believe that you are, you are uniquely created. Your personality, your desires and gifts and abilities given to you by the Lord in such a way that you have been strategically placed to operate in areas that others cannot. Right? There's going to be areas in other people's lives that you have influence over that I'll never have influence over. You have access to patches of darkness that I, I can never get near. And the same goes for me. But you have, you have a responsibility to that. And when you see to your responsibility as light, you're fulfilling Jesus' command to make disciples. So even in our daily life, we are not spectators in this, but players. We are to participate in the work of spreading the good news of Jesus and seeing lost souls saved. This is a matter of life and death. Quite literally, life and death. Let's ask the worship team to come up while I kind of close out here. This morning we look at the world, and it is crazy. It is chaos, right? It definitely doesn't look the way we want it to look. In a way, I'm thankful, because the way I want it to look probably doesn't look as great as God is designing it, right? In his own will and power. But know this, that God has a plan, and he has a strategy. He is at work, and you are a part of it. You play a role. In broken families, in hard times, in lonely seasons, in uncertain times, wherever darkness exists, light has been designed as the response to bring healing and restoration. You are God's response as light to a broken world. God knows the brokenness exists. He sees it. And it hurts him beyond what we can imagine. It disturbs him beyond what we can imagine. Just like Nineveh, his desire is to pour out his mercy and his grace on a broken world. And so he sends his light into the darkness, knowing that it cannot be extinguished to extinguish the darkness. Amen? Yeah. Just about, yeah. Um, I'm going to share this because I feel like the Holy Spirit's speaking this, and it's not—it's awesome what Stephen's sharing. And I feel like there's something that the Lord revealed to me, and it was in regards to Nineveh, to Jonah, and it was uh, interesting as he shared this. Like, it, like God's, oh, it all hits, and it, it's all—all the—all the contacts are are, are making sense to me. Um, and I want to share it with you as a body, and I, you know. Uh, I think John Adams said it. There's a statement he made. He said, duty is ours. The results are God's. And we need to remember that, that we have a duty. Stephen's sharing about us, our duty to be light. You know, when, when Jonah, when God brought Jonah, he sent Jonah to Nineveh. And, and yes, Jonah uh, uh, resisted uh, with, with, to no avail. God did something absolutely miraculous. Remember what he did. And this is like, it's such a miraculous event, I think, that we forget that 
that miraculous event got people's attention. He was spit up on the beach by a fish. That was not, that did not go unknown to the people of Nineveh. And what I'm saying to that is God, and when he then started to speak, people listened because something miraculous happened. It didn't go unnoticed. I guarantee, and it's interesting, it doesn't say it in the word, but the Holy Spirit revealed it to me that that was an event that God orchestrated, actually orchestrated to get Nineveh's attention. God has placed us as the church, and guess what? The world is Nineveh, and it's waiting and listening. It's needing the answer. It's needing the truth and the light. And he has miraculously saved us by his grace. We cannot lose sight of that. And it's our duty to be light. It's God's duty to produce the results. We cannot lose sight of this time as such a time as this. We need to stay focused, keep our, our hearts set, our minds clear and our eyes clearly on the prize which is Jesus and let God work out all the details it's really imperative that we hear what God is saying through Stephen this morning the world's waiting for an answer and it's Jesus amen that's free that takes a, that takes a load off it is God who has that work. Amen? Amen. Let's pray and then let's worship him. Father, we thank you for being at work in this broken world. We ask, Father, that you remind us, push us toward our responsibility as children of light. Remind us that When we come across darkness, we are a part of the plan to extinguish that darkness. May your love and grace, may your Holy Spirit flow through us. That others can interact with your grace and love as if we were just a conduit for it. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Amen.